So with that said, let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in uh, the book of Romans, covering uh, chapter 8, covering verses 28 to 30. And I titled this morning's message, God's Divine Purposes. And the particular passage <clears throat> that we're looking at this morning is an important passage for us to know as Christians. We looked at, uh, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, a few weeks back, we looked at our human will and how we have this human will and then we have God's indwelling Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And that puts us in a, a real place of choices, doesn't it? We often find ourselves, our flesh wanting to do one thing, and God's Holy Spirit is compelling us to do another. And we either find ourselves walking according to our flesh, or we find ourselves walking according to the Spirit. It's one of two walks that we find ourselves in. In in, uh, chapter 8, verse 12 to 17... Paul speaks of this, of our Christian relationship, excuse me, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have this personal relationship with the living God, that triune Godhead, and each one of them has a particular role in our walk as Christians. It speaks in these verses about our adoption into the family of God. Do you think of yourself that way as being adopted into God's family when you gave your life to Christ? Uh, It speaks about our future glory with Christ. Remember that Romans chapter 8 is about glorification. That third major truth that Paul brings out in the first eight chapters of Romans. He calls us brethren. He refers to as sons of God, children of God, heirs of God, and that we're actually joint heirs with Christ. I mean, that's pretty incredible. That really, that's relational that you and I have with the living God. Verse 14, look at your Bibles. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You see, if you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you're not His. We must have the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us. And how that happens is by invitation. God calls you. He speaks to you by His Holy Spirit. He draws you by His Holy Spirit. And we respond. And our response needs to be, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Cause me to be reborn by Your Holy Spirit. And God comes and lives and dwells inside of us. From verses 18 to 27, we learned that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then we saw, after that, we saw these three groanings that we see in this 8th chapter. It's called the three groanings of Romans. In verse 22, we read, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. All of God's creation groaning in travail. In verse 23, and not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Can we all agree? We're all waiting for that day. New bodies. I can't wait. Verse 26, likewise, The Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Isn't that incredible? To think that the Holy Spirit of God, when you don't know what to say to God, when you don't know how to pray and what to say, that He goes on your behalf as your intercessor between you and God and makes intercession for you. That's incredible. He knows exactly how to pray. He knows exactly what the perfect will of God is for your life. And I'm okay with just turning it over to Him quite often. God, I don't know, but you know. And would you intercede on my behalf? We might say that this last section of chapter 8 is Paul's conclusion to what he started going all the way back to chapter 3, verse 21. We started with our righteousness by faith. That led us to sanctification in chapter 6. As that sanctification is a work of God's Holy Spirit in our life. And then we come to chapter 8, which speaks of that glorification. The redemption of our bodies. Something that is yet future. Where we're going to fully realize, even though God already sees us seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we still have not yet realized or seen that These new bodies have been changed. That is still yet future. Today we're going to look at verses 28 to 30 in chapter 8. And it's God's divine purposes for our lives. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We're new creations, though, in Christ. Living in this fallen world, but we still are living in bodies that are corrupted by the fall. We still live in bodies that are dying. Do I have to convince anyone of that? The outward man is perishing, isn't it? But the inward man is being renewed day by day. A work of God in our lives. We experience pain and suffering in this life, even as Christians. Death won't escape us as Christians. And we're children of God. And death won't escape us. But we already have the victory, you see. The victory's already been won at the cross. Victory over sin, victory over death. It's already ours. We already stand in victory. Though it's still coming. You see, this body must die to put on the new. It's in verse 18 that Paul said, for I consider or I calculate or I conclude that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. The question we must all answer is this. Have you mentally come to the same fixed conclusion? And do you have this confident hope that there's coming a coming glory? That there's, that there's coming something in the future? Have you calculated it? Have you come to that conclusion in your own heart and in your own mind that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to what's coming? Wow. You see, that's going to take you a long way in a fallen world. It's going to take you... Uh, you're going to go through life victorious instead of defeated. When you come to that place where you are convinced, you've sat down and you've thought through the whole process. Yes, I live in a world that is full of pain and suffering, but it does not even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That's our hope, Christians. I hope that all of us are convinced of that. That we, we, it's not even a question in our mind. It it actually compels us to go forward in the midst of some very 
difficult and hard times in life. How many of us here have said in our lifetime, it's just too much. It's too painful. It's unfair. How many of us have questioned why there's prosperity with some and there's poverty with others? Happy and sad. Good and bad. Good health and sickness. A calm and a storm. Comfort and suffering. Life and death. I mean, these two, these contrasts. How many of us have said that? How many of us have questioned that with God? When we've been hurt, when we've been devastated through tragedy. When we've seen people pass on that we love. When we see sickness ravish somebody's body. Why? Why would you allow it, God? I thought you were a loving God. I thought you don't let your children, you know, why would you do that with your children? You see, these are all things that we wrestle in our soul about. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. You see, God never promised that we would be exempt from suffering, nor from trials, nor from tribulations in life. He never promised that to any one of us as Christians. Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And this is why. I have overcome the world. That's why. The Apostle Paul, also the other apostles, and even the early church were not exempt from trials and tribulations, were they? In Acts chapter 14, verse 19, we read, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, we're told that they stoned the Apostle Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went back into the city, And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples there, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And it it tells us, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying to them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You see, as Christians living in America, living in a safe zone, we could say, living in a place really of prosperity by the world's standards, uh, we have this sense that somehow or another this is just what God's law is for every Christian. But there are many Christians in this world that suffer greatly for the gospel's sake. There are many Christians that live in third world countries, that live in situations and and lifestyles that are so much less than what we have. And somehow or another, when we go on in life and we have these various things, somehow we think, God has forgotten me. Why would He allow me not to have the, the money to pay a bill? Why would we suffer in this life in the way that we do? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory. I hope that when you became a Christian, that no one told you that everything was going to be easy. I hope no one told you that. I I, I hope that no one told you you'd never be sick. that, That you wouldn't have any money problems. Did anyone ever tell you that? I hope not. You see, the life of a Christian is no different than somebody that doesn't know the Lord. 
The advantage that we have is we know Christ. We know what our end will be. We know that we're already victorious in Christ. That's the difference. He has overcome the world. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Do you do that? We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Oh, God's doing something through it. He's working something in you. And perseverance comes forth character. And out of character comes forth hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God uses tribulations. He uses hardships in life to produce perseverance and character and hope in you and I. You think, do it another way, God. Find another way to work it in me. I don't like the process. But you know what? It's the process that our Creator chose to use to bring us into that place where you're going to be that finished vessel, that fine piece of pottery that God is shaping into His image. Let's start in verse 28. This may be one of the most encouraging and hopeful verses in the Bible, but also it's often one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. By the way, this is a great memory verse if you don't have it already memorized. Romans 8.28. Do you already have it memorized? Raise your hand. All right, good. For those of you that don't, memorize it. It's a great verse. You'll use it many times when you're going through difficulties of life. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Great verse. We're going to hear it a number of times this morning. The words we know. Uh, These words are actually found 253 times in 94 verses in the Bible. In other words, there's a lot that God wants us to know as Christians. There's a lot of truths that He wants us to be able to grab hold of. These truths are divinely imparted to you and I as believers. The Greek word here for know is the Greek word ido. Say it. Ido. It's a word that suggests a fullness of knowledge. Having a full understanding of this particular truth. It's divine imparted knowledge to His children. Which means that somebody that doesn't know Christ doesn't know this. For you and I, we are to know this truth. The word is in the present tense, which means that it's an action that was completed at a specific point in time in the past. Meaning the day you gave your life to Christ, God begins to impart His truths to you as His children. But it's also a, the tense of the word means that it continues into the present. So in other words, this knowing is something that God reveals to you in the past. You don't have to be, in other words, a Christian for 50 years. Well, now I finally understand this. God wants to impart that to His children in the beginning when you give your life to Him. In the book of Romans, these words we know five times. In Romans 2.2, 2, I want you to ask yourself the question if you know this truth. Romans 2.2 But we know 
that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you know that God's judgments are according to truth and righteousness? That every judgment that God makes is according to truth? Do you know that as a Christian? You should. In chapter 3, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. The law, its purpose, why God used it, to bring a person to a place that it would stop their mouth and that the whole world would become guilty before God. Do you know that? It's the same word, Ido. In chapter 7, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, Paul says. Do you know that truth? That the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. In other words, we contend with flesh, don't we? Romans 8.22 For we know, Ido, that the whole creation groans and labors and birth pains together until now. Do you know that? As you look at your world, as you look at God's creation, as you look at how man and sin and how the fall is really destroying God's perfect creation. Romans 8.28 And we know, Ido, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Do you know what this verse means? Do you apply it? Are you able to apply it, that truth, to your life? And if you, if you don't really understand it, you need to understand it. One commentator wrote this about Ido. It refers to knowledge which comes from one's state of being. In other words, when you became a child of God. He says it's intuitive knowledge that we take in. The word means absolute, positive knowledge which one has beyond doubt. So think of Romans 8.28, beyond doubt. It refers to that which is common knowledge to the Christian. Not to the non-Christian, to the Christian. A settled, intuitive knowledge which the Holy Spirit makes real. God Himself has placed the knowledge of this verse in our hearts. We, But we also, and this is what I want you to make note of, but we also need to know that although all believers know the following truth intuitively, they must not always, they, they may not always fully understand the sense of it experientially. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can have it here. We can understand it. We can say we know that verse. We can say that we have that verse memorized. But are you experiencing the reality of Romans 8.28? Do you know that in your own heart? That everything that you go through in this life, God is working it out for your good. That God has a plan and a purpose no matter how terrible the situation might be. God has a plan in what He is working in you. Paul led us from verse 18 to verse 28 with those three groanings. And along the way, we come to this verse 28. 28 is really an important part of this glistening on the diamond that I've been talking about for Romans chapter 8. It's a verse that just kind of stands out to us as Christians. It's why so many of you have it memorized. Let's read it again. Verse uh, 28. And we know, notice that it's not Paul saying, I know, but we know. That includes you. It's not that I know this truth, but we know this truth. That all things... Notice that it's not... Look at your Bibles. Notice that it's not some things, but all things. That's important, isn't it? Not some things, but all things. And you know what the word all means? (laughs) All means all, 
without any exception. So, for we know that all things work together for good. Do you know that? All things, everything, every situation in life, that God is going to work it for your good. To those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. Here's what one commentator wrote concerning this verse. This verse does not say that God causes, listen very carefully, this verse does not say that God causes all things, period, a period. Nowhere in Scripture do we read that God causes sin or evil. He permits these things, but that is much different from initiating them. Therefore, when tragedy touches a believer, we should not conclude this, one, this is one of the all things that God causes. Rather, this verse says that God brings good out of all things, even tragedies for the Christian. The causes of tragedy are Satan, the sinful choices of people, and the consequences of living in a sinful world. That's why we go through what we go through. God doesn't say you're exempt from that because you're a child of God. You're going to have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. Don't put the blame upon God because we live in a world that has fallen. We have a lot of corruption around us, a lot of things that we experience. Your path is not my path. My path is not your path. We're all on a different road and all on a different journey. But all of those journeys are all leading to the same place of glory. We're going to be glorified in the presence of the Lord for eternity. Amen? This verse doesn't say or mean that everything in this life will turn out okay. It means rather that everything will work out for our ultimate good and will accomplish God's ultimate purposes in your life. That's important part of the truth of this verse. We need to remember that God always is most concerned with your eternal state than He is in this temporal life. He's most concerned with what He's going to accomplish in you in eternity than what's happening here and now, though He cares about what's going on in your life here and now. Remember the words of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said to his brothers, remember his brothers are the ones that threw him into the pit and left him there to die. Trials and tribulations of life. God has now raised up Joseph to be the governor over all of Egypt. He says to his brothers, Do not be afraid, for I, for am I in the place of God? He's saying, I'm not. But as for you, you meant evil against me that day that you threw me into the pit, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save my many people alive. Do you see what God is doing? God always has a bigger picture. Here's Joseph being thrown into the pit, left to die by his brothers. Trials and tribulations of life. Why, God? And then here's Joseph now being raised up as governor of Egypt to this place of honor. And now he stands before his brothers. They didn't even realize who they were speaking to. And here he is acknowledging that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Can God turn around the things that have transpired in your life for your good? Yes, He can. That's the point. God can take any situation and all situations in your life for your good. Let me ask you a question. As you read through your Bible, 
Do you, as you're reading the stories of the Bible, are you picking up on the fact that God is in control of every situation? Just read through the Old Testament. You'll see that God is in control of all of it. He's working the same in your life today. He's in control. Even when you're when you're out of control, he's in control. And, and so, do, when you read your word, do you pick up on that? Even down to the very precise timing and the details that we see. How could God work that out with Joseph and his brothers? Because he's God. And he's on his throne and he's in control of even the timing, the, the perfect timing, and the situation in every single detail that was being worked out in that situation. Do you think God does the same in your life? I believe that He does. How much faith and confidence you have in God is, has a direct effect. When you, when you know how He's in control, it will have a direct effect on how you deal with life situations. If you believe He's in control. If you believe he doesn't really know what's going on with you and what your needs are and where you're at, then yeah, you might freak out a little bit. But if he's in control, if he's on his throne, if he's working everything and all things for your good, then can you sit back with a little bit of ease and comfort knowing that God is working in you and working something to your benefit and that maybe even through your life, others will be saved, just as it was said of Joseph in his life, that he would save. That You think God sees the eternal. He has a bigger picture. Why would Stephen be allowed to be stoned after this ministry? Why would God allow this man to be stoned at such an early stage in his ministry? So maybe that the Apostle Paul would get saved as he hung onto the coats of those that were throwing the stones to kill him. God has a bigger picture. He does the same thing in your life and in my life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you have that one memorized? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He'll direct your path. Is that a promise or is that a hopeful no, he says that I will direct your path. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The steps, precision. God knows where you're stepping and where you're going every day. Daniel 2, 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Who's in control? God's in control of it all. Let's read the verse again. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things in the life of the believer. Ultimately, together, are working and contributing to your good. All things. I want you to think of your past week. I want you to think of your past six months. I wanted you to think of your past year. The journey you've been on. The, the ups and downs. All the things. Uh, and think on those things. Where you're at today. What things you have on your plate right now that are before you. I want you to think about all things. And that God could take those things and turn them around for your good. Does that mean it'll be easy? No, it, it could be excruciating. It could be very difficult and hard. But... God's still in control. God is still working on my behalf. He still has a, a future purpose in what He's doing. 
all things in this life for the believer ultimately work together for your good. But we also need to understand what Paul means by good. Or things working together for good. The best way to answer that is to first say to you what it's not. It's not saying here in this verse, whatever happens in your life is good. Whatever tragedy comes your way in life, is good. It's not saying that. It's not saying that suffering and tragedy are good. It's not saying that. Paul is not saying that all things work together for good for those who have enough faith. It's not saying that either. It's not saying that we will be able to understand why God allows tragedy to come. It's not telling us that either. So that's not what it's saying. If our new life in Christ was one of perfect peace, you give your life to Christ. This peace comes over you. You have this relationship with God. Perfect peace. It's been that way for 50 years. A life of no conflict. No testings of your faith. No sickness. No health issues. No affliction or hard times in life. Let me ask you, where would your faith be today? Where would your eyes be today? Who would you be looking to? Where would your heart and your mind be today? If none of these things came your way, I think that they would probably be more on self than they are on God. You see why God would allow these things to come our way? Because He loves you. He's perfecting something in you. Vine's Expository Dictionary comments on these words, all things... It says, the all things, however contrary to us, are under His control. The statement carries the suggestion that God works all things for those who love Him, with designs for their good. Troubles, therefore, do not hinder Christian progress. Did you get that? Troubles do not hinder Christian progress. They serve but to further the designs of God's grace. In other words, God's working something in you. We're talking about glorification in chapter 8. We're talking about the finished product. We're talking about what God sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in the future. The finished work of God. If you don't already have this verse memorized, you probably will by the end of this study. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. He says, they work together for good. Uh, when it talks about working together in verse 28. you see that in your Bibles? Work together for good. The word work together is a Greek word which speaks of intimacy. We actually get our English word synergy. Synergy is the potential ability of an individual or an organization or a group to be more successful or more productive as a result of a merger. It means to be a fellow worker. And so to cooperate, God is our fellow worker. Do you see what He's doing through trials and tribulations? He's our fellow worker who Himself 
is the one working on our behalf. He's using trials, tribulations, struggles of life, working on our behalf to bring about a good work in you. He's doing it. You're not doing it. He's doing it. And the Father continually is working all things together for our good. Continually. Whatever it might be. One commentator wrote this. I I, I had to read it. The hand of God is at the helm. You know what the helm is. The hand of God is at the helm. He's steering us through the storms of life toward home. Toward a safe haven. And He takes care to order all the events of our lives right now to speed us on our way there. This is what we all call providence. God's overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. The providence of God is clearly taught from one end of the Bible to the other. And our confidence in the providence of God is a faith so bold, so demanding, so unapologetic that we cannot believe it without being transformed. Either all things work together for our good or nothing makes sense. So let's be bold about it. Let's either be transformed Christians or be bitter skeptics because we cannot just sort of believe. We either believe it or we doubt it. There is no middle ground. Isn't that great? It's a mindset. It's what we should be grabbing hold of. It's what God wants us to know. And we need to take it home. Let me give it to you in an illustration. When a person is ill and a doctor is called in, he usually writes out a prescription for medicine, which is taken to a druggist who prepares it. He takes an empty bottle and he puts it puts into it so much liquid out of one bottle, so much powder out of another bottle, and so on. And he puts a label on it with the words, shake the bottle. All of these different medicines work together for the good of the patient. The liquid may be disagreeable to the taste, but it is for the sick person's good. So all things, even the bitter, disagreeable things which God allows to reach us, are all for our good. All things work together for good for those who love God. That's what we rest in. That's our hope. That's our confidence. It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of truth. As believing and grabbing hold and and saying, I believe. I trust. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Notice the two conditions within that verse. To those who love God. Agapeo. Those who love God unconditionally and sacrificially. It's actually the only place in Romans where it's directing our love towards God. All the other places is God's love towards you. Here it's saying to those who love God. A condition. In other words, a condition for this promise is that you need to be a child of God. You need to know Him before you will ever be able to love Him unconditionally and sacrificially. We're told in 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. We now love Him because He first called us. You see, He called you. You didn't go seeking the Lord. He called you. He sought you out. And you got saved. He extended His love towards you. And now this love relationship that you have with the living God, you could say, I'm growing in that love relationship with Him. I'm loving Him more today than I ever have. Pretty incredible. The word here, to those who are the called. The called according to His purpose. 
The word called means, really, literally, it means invited or somebody that is welcomed. You're the called if you're a child of God. You've been invited, you've been welcomed into the family of God. It was originally used and designated to invite people to a banquet. You're the called. God has called us according to His purpose. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul says, He called us to be saints. Do you see yourself that way? He called you to be a saint, a holy one. In 2 Timothy 1.9, He calls us with a holy calling, not of works, but according to His purpose and grace. 1 Peter 2.9, He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Ephesians 4.1, he, he has called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And in Galatians 1.6, He has called you by the grace of Christ. As I was looking at all these different callings upon our life, the list goes on and on. Just look in your Bible. You are the called. God called you out. And it's all for according to His purposes. God's purposes. God who called you He invited you to obtain salvation. He saved you and he calls you his child. Paul says both the calling of God and the loving God are required for a person to claim the promise of Romans 8.28. That's why it says it the way that it does. It's for you as a Christian. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for you as a child of God. The next question that we might ask is, why has God called us? Look at verse 29. We're moving way ahead, aren't we? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He, that He is Jesus Christ, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what is the ultimate purpose and the plan of God? For those He foreknew. You see what it says in verse 29? For whom He foreknew. In other words, those that are predestined those that are called, those that have been justified, those that He sees as already being glorified in heaven, but the reality is still coming. The ultimate goal of all the trials and tribulations of life that we go through, everything that God is working behind the scenes that you can't make sense of most of the time, nor can I, when we question God about all the the ultimate goal of what God is wanting to do in each one of you as an individual Christian is that He wants to conform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing. Remember I've shared about suffering? That the path to glory comes by way of suffering? Remember the Apostle Paul? He wanted to, to be conformed He wanted to understand that suffering of the Lord. Why? He wanted to know the power of His resurrection. He wanted to to have that, that, that fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. He knew that all of that in His life was conforming Him into the image of His Son. Is that your greatest desire in your life? Or is it other things? What is it that drives us? Why do we get up out of bed every day? What is our motivation in life? What is our purpose in life? If it's all of those things, then then my desire is God, no matter what comes my way, I always win. You always win. I'm always more than a conqueror. 
for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Wow. To be like Christ. Remember I, I shared during our Easter, that Passion Week, to be like him, that road to suffer, that road of suffering that he traveled? Our salvation didn't hurt us a bit, did it? All you had to say is yes to Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. He came into your life and he saved you. No pain. But as soon as we started walking with the Lord and desiring to be more like him, I'm feeling some pain. My flesh is wanting to rise up. It wants to do what it wants. I got to die to myself. There's pain involved with growth. 1 Peter 1-2, Paul, Peter wrote, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That foreknowledge for whom He foreknew. In other words, God knew you in advance. Did you know that? God knows all things in advance. He knows everything before it happens. Does that mean every individual circumstance in your life? Every health issue, every problem, every tragedy, every death, everything that has gone on, did He already know it before it happened? If you believe in a sovereign God that's in control of all things, then yes, He did. For whom He foreknew. God knew. And I like that. Look at verse 30. Moreover, he's, gone, he's expounding upon this. Paul's taken it a little bit further. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you see the progression of what's happening there? He also predestined you and I. That word predestined literally means to mark out beforehand, to set the limits or the boundaries in advance of any place or thing. He also predestined you in advance. He already knew who was going to believe and who will reject. He already had the scope of what you were going to be. He already, he already sees you in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. And it says, according to the good pleasure of His will. I'm God. <laughs> I just choose to do it. Even in spite of yourself, I love you. I died for you. I want to get, you know, that's God. In other words, God predetermined. He planned to conform you into the image of His Son from the very beginning. Does that help you? That from the very beginning, He predetermined to transform your life into the image of His Son. And God says, this is how I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to allow them to go down through this world, this fallen world, this reckless world, this world full of sin, lots of bumps and bruises and all along the way. And when it gets to the end of that journey, the end of that path, I'm going to see the finished work right there in you. The image of my Son in you. Incredible. He called us. When was the day that the Lord called you? What was that day that you heard His voice and you responded? He justified you that day. He put you in right standing with the living God. 
Just as if you'd never sinned. You have this righteousness that was given to you. Incredible. That's your salvation. He justified you. He sanctified you. And He's going to glorify you in your new body. These He also glorified. To glorify means to render something glorious. When Jesus came up out of that tomb, it brought glory to the Father. He did exactly what He said He was going to do. When you're in heaven in your glorified body, it's going to be a glorious work of God. It's what He always intended. It's why He allows you to go down the path, the journey, so that you'll finish with this. Remember that when God sees you, He sees you already there. Is that important to know? That God already sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God sees the end before the beginning. God started the work in you and He guarantees that He's going to finish what He started. Philippians 1.6 Raise your hand if you know that one. Fewer of you. It would be a, greater, uh, a great verse. It, it would it'd be a good parallel verse for this one. Being confident of this very thing. What's it mean to be confident of something? To be assured of something? Be, uh, being confident of this very thing. That He that began a good work in you is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When did He start the good work in you? The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that He that began a good work in you will perform it. That word perform in the Greek means to accomplish something, to undergo, to accomplish or make perfect. In other words, from start to finish, the day you gave your life to Christ until the day of Jesus Christ, He's perfecting something in you and I. Philippians 1.6 My path is not your path. My journey is not your journey that you're on. And vice versa. But know this, for each one of us here, this is where we're all on the same, uh, same place. We're all going to experience that same glory in heaven. The finished product. God is going to work it in you. And so we either go through this life bucking up against God, questioning every move that He makes, everything that He allows to come our way, or we simply yield. And we say, God, would You have Your way in me? Would You make me more like You? I trust you, God. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my bills. I trust you with my health. So many times we just, people live in fear of their health. I might have to give a message someday on just death. (laughs) You're just dying. How do we handle death? You know, for the Christian, you're already victorious. It's already a done deal. Well, you know how we'll do that? We'll finish Romans chapter 8 next week. Remember when I started the book of Romans, I said we're going to talk about eternal security? We're going to finish Romans chapter 8 on your eternal security in Christ. How secure are you? It's an important truth to know. That's our confident expectation that we have in the Lord. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. 
From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.